following podcast is sponsored by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, The Fast and the Furious, Robocop, The Addams Family, Addams Family Values, Universal Pictures Presents, The Fast and the Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Clue, Crybaby, Weekend at Bernie's, The Children of the Corn, Twister, Back to the Future, and The Velocipaster. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and try to determine which one is cooler, robots or dinosaurs. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week. Today, I invited onto the show my friend, cinephile and screenwriter, David Rodriguez. Hello, David. Hello. David, why don't you tell the audience what movie we're going to be talking about today? The movie we'll be talking about today is this 1994 cult classic called Tammy and the T-Rex. Tammy and the T-Rex. David, hang on a second. I think there might have been a huge mistake. The movie that I watched last night was Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex, spelled mm-hmm. T-A-N-N-Y. Did we watch the same movie? Yeah. When I started watching the film, I thought I got the wrong one for a second. And, but I kept listening, and when they first say her name, they say Tammy. And I'm like, now this is even more confusing. So, David, I did a little bit of research on why this happened. Do you know why the movie starts with that alternate title? No. Let me ask you another question. During the uh, surgery scene that we are going to dig into, mm-hmm. how graphic was that scene? How much blood, how uh, much gore did you see? A bit, yeah. I think I saw a good amount of gore in that scene and throughout the film. So I found out there there was a edited cut of this movie that was the most available version of it up until recently. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, unedited Italian dub of the movie that was recently redubbed back into English, or not redubbed, but recut and remastered mm-hmm. for American audiences. And that is, I think, the version that we both watched. I watched it on Shutter. I watched it on Shutter as well. Which yeah. I recently got because of Host. Oh, awesome. Awesome. What's Host? It was this film made in the pandemic using the Zoom calls. So everyone was talking about it. It's only about 50 minutes long. It's a great, fun little film. You should actually check it out. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, Shutter. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Shutter and check out Host. Um, I'm going to check that out later. That sounds like a good movie. So this was definitely the unrated version that we both watched. I loved the over-the-top cartoonish violence in it. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually not a, a fan of gory horror or anything where it's, it depicts realistic gore, but I love when it's over-the-top and silly and ridiculous like it was in this movie. Yeah. So I'm glad I got to watch this version of it. Yeah, I was wondering what version I'd get to, because I did hear about that, how it was originally released as like a family-friendly film when it was <laughs> sent out to audiences. And I'm just like, seeing the the cut that we saw, I'm like, what did they watch? When there were attacks, was it just like a scream? And then it's like cut to next scene? The audiences didn't get to see everything we saw. That's crazy. Yeah, right. And then I like, I, I wonder how much of the like Denise Richards dancing for a camera at the end was cut out oh, yeah. the edited version because that that just seemed to go on and on and on. And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if you got someone as gorgeous as Denise Richards dancing around, I can I can I can understand why the director did that. But like, yeah, man, it's it's the <laughs> definition of gratuitous, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, there are questions that I like to ask each guest that 
sort of uh, open up a big discussion about sci-fi in general and how it pertains to this movie and what this movie says about its place in pop culture. Um, and 1994 is an extremely interesting year for sci-fi and pop culture, mm -hmm. especially with dinosaurs and especially with robots. And we are going to talk about both today because I would argue this movie has both in spades. Yeah. Now, I want to start with, because the T-Rex the is in the title, I have two questions that I always start with depending on whether the movie heavily leans towards robot or dinosaur. And in this one, I'm going to go with the title has T-Rex in it. So the first question I'm going to ask, David, in your terms, in your definition, what is a dinosaur? I would say a dinosaur is prehistoric, you know, extinct, somewhere ancestor of birds and, and reptiles that were large, just like picture birds and reptiles combined now, but large back in billions of years ago. I agree with that. Are there dinosaurs in this movie? In physical form. So... Physically, you see a dinosaur, but it's not really a dinosaur. Question B, is there a robot in this movie? Yes. Okay. The dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. So what is a robot? I would say a robot's like a man-made, I would say usually man-made machine that's like made to do something, like perform something you program it to. So I ask every guest that question, man-made and built to do a specific task are the two common answers that I, are the two common qualities that people add to robots. And I think that, I think those are really important things to talk about because this robot in particular mm -hmm. <laughs> was made by a mad scientist with yeah. a very, very specific purpose, which I don't, I, it, it actually took me a few minutes to realize, or I had to watch a, a scene over and over to, to figure this out that why was Dr. Wackenstein building this thing in the first place? What was his actual end goal? Mm -hmm. Because the movie doesn't do a great job of telling you why he's doing all of this. I just believe that somebody would want to do this. Um, the movie yeah. convinces me of that reality. It's not until much later that we find out or realize that his goal is to put himself and his girlfriend Helga into robotic dinosaurs at some point so that they can live forever. Oh, I didn't even pick that up, but that makes sense now that you mention it. Because he does rave about immortality a lot. He yes. does rave about being able to like go beyond like the human cycle. So that makes yes. sense. Yes. Now, Dr. Wackenstein is probably my favorite character in this movie out of <laughs> a uh, embarrassment of riches with, with yeah. great characters. But a couple of reasons why I love Dr. W. How, how would you pronounce his name? Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. No, Wackenstein. His first name was Gunther, right? Gunther Wackenstein, yeah. Gunther Wackenstein. Do you think it's a play on Frankenstein because of the brain swap and the... Yeah, I think so. They did something along the lines of that. I love that almost every time we see him, he's smoking, even while performing surgery. When mm -hmm. he walks into the hospital, he's smoking and like <laughs> literally hands his cigarette off to another doctor who thanks him and is like, ooh, this is good. <laughs> David, did you recognize the actor that played Dr. Wackenstein? Yes, but I've never seen Weekend of Bernie's. Oh, I just, man. I just, I just know of it so much. I've seen clips, so I knew it was him. I knew it was Terry Kaiser. I just, I've never seen that film. So anytime someone mentions it, I'm like, yeah. It is a wonderful film. Terry Kaiser does an incredible performance as a corpse for most of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I love that movie so much. And I love the sequel. That is is uh, a Halloween costume that I did one year. That's probably my favorite oh. Halloween costume I've ever done. Was I was Bernie, <laughs> and I had uh, two of my friends 
literally carried me around the whole night and I just had like sunglasses. Um, I almost got kicked out of a bar one at one point actually, because they thought I was passed out. (laughs) Uh, They probably didn't see a movie like I did. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, I had to break character for a moment. And then the bartender was like, Oh, great costume. So Dr. Wackenstein, Gunter, and his girlfriend, Nurse Nurse Helga. I love them. I love their whole team, uh, which yeah. includes Bobby. And then uh, Bobby's like the, uh, I guess he would be an engineer. I guess he was the actual, um, yeah, the creator of the, of the T-Rex uh, robot. Bobby was played by John Franklin, who also appeared in Children of the Corn. And this is really yeah. interesting. He was cousin It in all of the Addams Family movies. Oh, I love the Adams Family movies. He has the right um, stature for that. <laughs> yep, Cousin It is the the. I don't know how to this. How would you describe Cousin It? He is like just a head of hair. Like he is just a walking wig. <laughs> I guess is the right <laughs> word for it. Lord yeah, hair. And then we got Carl, the bodybuilder, who Bobby calls Testosterone Man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of great characters and a lot of great character actors in this movie. I feel like this was a movie where everybody involved was having a lot of fun. You could kind yeah. of see the the joy on their faces that they're this was silly and fun. They weren't taking it too seriously, and they weren't trying to make a heartwarming tale for the ages about a, you know a romance between these 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 tragic high school kids and their yeah how they were ripped apart from one another. It is that, but but you could tell that there was a lot of whimsy. I read a little bit about the production of it. This movie came into being because the director's friend just happened to have access to this animatronic T-Rex for, I think, only two weeks. And so he had uh, less than two weeks to write a script and just start filming it and then figure out the story around the footage of the T-Rex that they filmed, yeah. which is which amazing. Is cr- yeah, which is a great like story to tell. Like Just like this, how film was made. Whose movie is this? Is it Tammy's movie or is it Michael's movie? Huh. You know, you would think it's, well, technically, Michael is also the T-Rex in the title as well. So, I mean, you would think it's Tammy at first, but as you're watching the film, now that you mention it, I do think it could be seen as Michael's film because there are a lot of scenes like that follow him more than her, even when he was still like human before his brain got put into the T-Rex's body. Um, there's a scene where like he's waiting for her call or, or he's in bed thinking about her and then she calls and then the scene where he's being chased and everything. So we follow, I think, his POV a lot more than Tammy's. Um, That's true. We follow the T-Rex as he like rampages through the party and so on. It isn't until maybe only the, the end of the second act then like third act where we really kind of get both of them together i think that they share almost equal screen time i think it's appropriate that they're both in the title the only evidence that i would have to say that tammy is the main protagonist is one her name comes first but i think that Mm -hmm. is more to do with tammy and the t-rex sounds a little bit better or is easier to say than the t-rex and tammy it rolls off the tongue a little better. But also that I'm a big fan of looking at and examining the opening shot of a movie because I learned in, well, because just because, uh, <laughs> let's not yeah. talk about my degrees or anything. But, but I did learn in school, like just from reading and from like learning about storytelling that yeah. um, typically you open with the POV of your protagonist or that's the first character that you really meet and see things through their eyes. 
Very true. And the very opening shot of this movie is Denise Richards' face, like as she's practicing a, a cheer routine uh, with yeah. her cheer squad. So yeah, I, I do think that they are meant to be equal protagonists in this movie. And I think they both go through uh, some incredible transformations from beginning mm-hmm. to end. One maybe arguably more so than the other, but <laughs> in terms of physical transformations. Yeah. Now, Going back to our question of, is this a dinosaur? Mm-hmm. Was was part of your definition that a dinosaur is a living thing? At some point it was, yeah. So when it was around, yeah, it's a living being. Okay. I'm a, I'm a little bit loose, I would say, with my definition of a dinosaur. I think there's a, um, a cultural image of what a dinosaur is, which mm-hmm. is when I close my eyes personally, that's specifically the T-Rex from Jurassic Park or something that looks like that, or maybe a triceratops. But I also, I'm accepting of the, using the term dinosaur to refer to an old concept or a car that's falling apart, you know, or something like that. True. Um, <laughs> so in the context of sci-fi, what I love, uh, the reason that I like comparing robots and dinosaurs is it, it's the past versus the future. It's nature versus technology. Mm-hmm. And both of them have this element of chaos that always gets out of our control. So in this movie, they built a robot that was meant to functionally be a dinosaur. And one step further, it was also functionally meant to be a body, a human, uh, or a body for a human brain. Yeah. It is, it is both a robot and a dinosaur. One other distinction, though, is do you make a difference in your mind? Do you draw a sharp line between a robot versus, let's say, a mech suit, like a Gundam? Oh, uh. Yes, I think so. Because I feel like, a, actually, that's an interesting point to make because essentially, yeah, if you have like a mech suit or if you have like, or like from Power Rangers and you have the big, what was it called? Dinosaurs. The dinosaurs and then they become one, but then technically they're still controlling it. I mean, that's technically still a robot. But I, I do, like, if I, if I were to close my eyes and think of a robot, I immediately think of one that has its own mind. Maybe that's a bit more Android or a bit more AI. But I think of one that kind of is more independent, like Wally or something like that. Can we unpack that a little bit? Because I, I do think there's a difference between robots and androids and also a third category, cyborgs. Trying to think of like, there's like a Star Wars reference where C-3PO was talking about that or something. No, cyborgs. And my first thought goes to Dragon Ball Z and androids. I'm less familiar with Dragon Ball Z. Can you tell me about the androids in that? From what I vaguely remember, when there was uh, the Cell Saga of the storyline, there were these androids that were created by like a mad scientist to kind of like destroy the world and stuff. In the car- in the anime, they were androids that had their own like minds and processes. And while some of them went evil, I know one of them, they went by numbers. I think she was 17 or 18. She ultimately like grew to like love humans and, and became a human at the end herself. Like she ended up marrying one of the characters. So I always think of androids when I think of that because it was like, it was Android 17, Android 18. When I think of Cyborg, my first thought is of Cyborg from Teen Titans. Some so human parts, first. some machine parts. Some, yeah. So a combination maybe. If yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, were you a fan of uh, Beast Wars or Beast Machines, the Transformers series? Yes. I actually they, watched those more than Transformers as a kid. Me too. Me too. Um, I, we, I recently reviewed the, the 1986 Transformers movie with a friend of the show and robot enthusiast PJ Mancuso. And we talked about how Beast Machines, they came up with this term called technorganic, which I think mm-hmm. is a great definition or 
alternative term for what a cyborg is, part organic, okay. part technology. In my mind, that's the, that's the simplest difference between a cyborg and a robot is that a cyborg has some living tissue or some usually human parts in it. And okay. so, for example, the, the Terminators in, in the Terminator movies, I would strongly argue that when, they're, when we see them in the future war where John Connor's fighting them and they're just metal, mm -hmm. those are robots. But at the moment they put skin around them and send them back yeah. through time, those are cyborgs. Those are cyborgs, okay. In my mind, people can disagree, uh, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's, 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 where, that's what helps me sleep at night. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, and where does androids fall into this? That's a trickier one to me. And what I've landed on personally is an android is a fully metal, fully technology, no organic parts whatsoever. And it is designed to look like and imitate a human usually or some living being. Uh, uh, but I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a really accurate definition of what an android is meant to be so it's a lot more like i guess what's the word like anthropomorphic is that the word i'm looking for yeah 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 it, it's it's meant to like almost trick you into thinking that it's a living thing even though it's in no part an actual living thing oh, okay. which you could argue like that's also that definition also applies to the terminators once they look human and they have skin around their metal body then at that yeah, point they're human. also an android so yeah. I don't know, uh, but that's why I started this podcast is we're going to yeah. try to figure it out. Or it, it could out. also be just a <laughs> cell phone AI. <laughs> Interesting definition. One of my guests uh, asked about whether we're going to review the movie Her. That made me think because I think Her, if that's what we're going to refer to the character as, because I don't think she has a name. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. She probably does have I a need, name. I need to watch that movie. It's on my list. Uh, but she doesn't have a physical form. And mm. I would still argue she's a robot. She has that classic yeah. robot voice she does automated tasks she's man-made she's programmed there is a hub there has to be a hub somewhere i'm guessing but there has to be like a server or something that sends out that signal transmits stuff yeah that's a really good point so it's active so technically she does have a physical form somewhere but somewhere. we just we don't see or hear that we we get this remote extension of that mm -hmm. that's a pretty cool distinction okay so going back to michael in this movie Mm -hmm. Is Michael a cyborg because technically there's a brain inside of the suit? Is the T-Rex a mech suit because technically it's being mm -hmm. operated by something organic housed inside of it that its metal body is protecting? What would you, would you alter your definition at all about the T-Rex that we saw in this movie? Um, or classification of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm pretty sure like it's more robot, of course, than dinosaur. And so in that case, because it does end up having... Michael's human brain, under what we've just discussed, it would fall under a cyborg. It originally has to move and is controlled by Bobby and his like controller versus now once he gets the brain, then he can just move on his own. It's, he's independently thinking. There's you know, those, um, those fake arms. And they're, and the, oh my God, those arms were incredible. <laughs> I wrote down a couple of things that those arms did because I've never seen. I wrote down, this is a dexterous T-Rex or a Dex-Rex. I don't think that's going to catch on, but. Uh, <laughs> Damn but he, the Dex-Rex. A Dex-Rex, yeah. <laughs> Which could also be like a uh, T-Rex that murders exclusively serial killers. A Dexter-Rex. Mm. Um, <laughs> so some of the things that it did with its very tiny T-Rex arms are pick up a barbell, picked pieces of Bobby's head out of its teeth, like flossing, picked up a hand mirror and used a hand mirror very dexterously. <laughs> it did charades. It, it communicated the concept of rain and 
Michael's brain with charades, and it used a payphone and even checked for change after done uh, after it was done making the call. <laughs> uh, did you mention also brushed off Byron's like dirt off his shoulder when he picked him I up? For- oh, I <laughs> forgot about that. That was brilliant. Byron, Byron is a character we should talk about. I want to be, I want to be delicate and I want to be mm-hmm. generous talking about Byron. I love Byron. I don't think this movie was as, as kind to Byron as it should have been, but, sure. <laughs> but, but I do want to talk about Byron. That I would argue that when we do talk about it, that they do also give him a bigger role than you would have seen for that kind of character back in 1994. Yes, which which I was grateful that he mm-hmm. got he got the chance to showcase his talents, his humor. Byron got to be Byron, and I loved mm-hmm. it. I just hate what I hated was some of the some of the commentary in the mm-hmm. movie itself, like from other characters. We reviewed Jaws on a, on a previous episode, and that is like a time capsule of the late 1970s. It does have a few sl- semi problematic things, but it's an honest time capsule is an honest representation of how things were how people talked this movie i would say in 94 that is probably accurate to the way that somebody like byron would casually be treated in a small town like this it sucks and i don't think it's necessary for the movie i don't think it adds anything to the story it can easily be taken out of of the movie oh yeah entirely but at the same time at least it's like it's showing all it's showing it the movie is showing all of its wonderfulness and all of the ugliness of like reality at the time yeah one argument against it's this is actually either for or against the t-rex being a cyborg the movie seems to equivocate on this a little bit there's a bit where the t-rex i believe it's the first time he gets shot at and tammy says he's bleeding and Byron responds, he can't bleed, he's mechanical. But later on, when he gets killed by the, the, the police force that comes out in full force and unloads, they're literally shooting at the broadside of a barn and yeah. they hit him a bunch of times. <laughs> I, I noticed, and I want to ask you about this, there, there seemed to be a little bit of blood coming out of his mouth when Tammy was mourning over him. Did you notice mm-hmm. that or was it just me? It might have glossed over me. I didn't notice. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's what I see. You know, it also very well could have been blood from, he had just eaten the doctor and the nurse. So it could have just True. been their blood on his mouth. The other bit is <laughs> when when Dr. Walkenstein, in that same scene, he takes out his tranquilizer gun and he says, yeah, I know it looks big, but don't panic. They don't make small tranquilizer guns. And then Byron says, if it's a machine, how can a tranquilizer work on it? And they don't even try to answer that question. The doctor yeah. still goes in there and tries to shoot it with the tranquilizer gun. And, but we don't find out if that would have worked or not. No. Do you think it would have? I mean, if you think about it, maybe if it was like electrical and it would somehow short circuit the dinosaur, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe um, it was very... I, if I remember the scene, I think that they kind of did look stumped for a second. I feel like the doctor knew that it wouldn't work. Like he kind of didn't answer him. But then he's like, well, no one's going to answer, so I'm just going to keep going with it. I almost feel like knowing what I know about the production of this movie, I almost feel like they got to this point when they were filming that scene. They were like, all right, <laughs> we're, this is how we're going to do it. Big tranquilizer gun. The doctor's going to take it out. And then when he did, I feel like the actor playing Byron maybe improvised that line. And then yeah. they were like, oh, wait, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> Whatever. Keep it in the movie. We'll just keep going. We're, we, <laughs> we got two weeks before this thing has yeah. to go to uh, some park in Texas. So. <laughs> Just keep rolling. I so I in the end I don't know where I land on whether this is a cyborg, a mech, an android, 
or a robot, it might be all of those things. And I might just have to be okay with that. Is there one yeah. that you are most comfortable calling the T-Rex in this movie? Or are you cool with it being it containing multitudes? I'm cool with it containing multitudes, but I'm more towards like robot slash cyborg now. Okay. How come? Um, the whole brain aspect of it, it be at first it starts off as a pure robot, but then it becomes more like it's a human it, like there's a human host in it now. So it becomes its own sentient being until it eventually dies. And then we see Michael end up back as a brain until he gets a new host body. Fully agree. I fully, I think it's a good assessment. And that, that speaks to the hero's journey of Michael as a character and the transformation that he goes through. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, we really get to, you know, you're watching a good story or reading a good story or hearing a good one when your protagonist learns and grows and changes in some way. And that, uh, without a doubt, happens with Paul Walker's character in this movie. <laughs> There's yeah. no argument against that. The movie opens with, like I said, two different titles for the credits and this song by Simon Stokes called Dinosaur Man. And I picked out a couple. <laughs> I picked out a couple of the lyrics that I, yeah. I would like to read, just so I can take small issue with one of them because I'm pedantic. <laughs> I'm a T-Rex on the prowl, a reptile on the move. Better watch your step. I'm coming after you, David. Do you know the part of this that I have a small issue with? Mm, reptile on the prowl? No, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> reptile. Yeah. yeah. Now I agree that uh, you said a. Dinosaur is something like a, a, a reptile bird or has similar qualities to both. This movie came out in 1994. Jurassic Park came out in 1993. And by then, it was pretty well known that a lot of our notions of what a dinosaur looked like were inaccurate based on artist depictions, kids' coloring books, toys, mm-hmm. all of the dinosaur fiction that had led up to that moment. Even though Jurassic Park acknowledged that they were probably more bird-like, probably had hollow bones, maybe even had feathers. It still depicted them like like giant lizards, like giant reptiles. Yeah. The movie does have a built-in explanation for that, which is that they couldn't build a 100% pure dinosaur. They had to fill in the missing gaps in the genome sequence with amphibian DNA and other types of animal DNA. Yeah. So inarguably, those dinosaurs can look like whatever John Hammond wanted them to look like because he's a kid in an adult's body he has his his imagination of what a dinosaur looks like and he has the money to create them so because they are also man-made creations they're clones in that movie they can sort of look like whatever he wants them to ultimately look like and then of course the later movies in the series get into like deliberately mixing them with hybrids the cuddle they mix cuddlefish dna with the the indoraptor was one of them or yeah, the Indoraptor, the Indominus Rex, they're like a blend of, uh, deliberately a blend of a lot of different things like cuttlefish for invisibility or camouflage. One of them, I think one of them even has like part human DNA to make it smarter. Very bad idea, of course. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to hold Simon Stokes' feet to the fire for too much, for too much longer about uh, using a reptile on the move because I'll, I'll, I'll give him that he's semi-accurate about that. Um, yeah. I don't think in the song lyrics, a reptile bird hybrid uh, on the move <laughs> would sound as cool. No. So that is, that is the song that opens up. Like I said, we see Denise Richards practicing some sort of routine. And then we, we meet Paul Walker. We meet Michael. What do you think of Michael when we first see him? Like a pretty boy jock. Yeah. yeah. Do you think Paul Walker is cast well in this role? I've really only seen him in like the Fast and the Furious saga. So, you know, his human parts are like a lot shorter 
compared to like some of the other characters who we get to see throughout the whole film. And because even when we come to Dinosaur, then we don't even get like any, any speaking voice acting. I was wondering if that was going to happen, if we were going to have the T-Rex start talking like Michael. I was waiting for it, but it didn't happen. Would the movie um, have been better if that had happened? Or would or... <laughs> I think it, I mean, they really could have amped up the camp and like the craziness if that was a thing. But then it might have been too much. We then we would have lost the hand charades. And that was the yeah. best part of it. Yeah. And, the, and the, like the brushing off and like the stolers and stuff like all the little things, it just wouldn't have been as fun as if he was talking. Yeah. But, I mean, I think he did well. I think, mm-hmm. I think everyone pretty much did well for their role. Me too. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, who else I would cast in that role. I thought Paul Walker was great, and I thought he did exactly what they wanted him to do. He looked very pretty. He was, you know, just consummate, dedicated boyfriend. You know, he gives her the flower. She doesn't want it, so he eats it, you know, like yeah. any good boyfriend would do. <laughs> And then we meet Tammy's ex-boyfriend, who is Billy. scary. I <laughs> yeah. am scared of Billy. <laughs> Tell me about Billy. Billy is, he's the description of like a film, like a teen film villain. He's like the bad boy that like smokes and does drugs and hooks up whenever he wants. But then he always, they always have this villain have like a singular focus on like whether it's one person that he wants or one person he wants to kill. And now I'm thinking of the name Billy. I'm thinking of Stranger Things because they had their own Billy. Yeah. 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 Good call. Because that was his only motivation in the whole film was that, Tammy, you're mine. Like, you'll always be mine. To and the he point runs where around. He yeah. breaks into her house with her parents' home and tells yeah. her in her own home, I, you can't run away from me. You are mine. You belong. You literally belong to me. He's a te- like way over the top. It's it's shocking that he's able to walk around in public. But our introdu- introduction to Billy, I think, might explain why Billy is not in jail. And it's the bumbling officers in this town. <laughs> yeah. Did you catch the running joke? That wasn't really much of a running joke. It only came up, I think, exactly once. Yeah. Of what the two were named. Yeah, Neville and Norville. And the one time was when the sheriff accidentally called Neville Norville. Yeah. It's like, it's Neville, or if it was the other way around. And then that kind of never was mentioned again. I kept thinking, oh, it is the start of a gag. <laughs> it didn't continue. Too, yeah. Do you think there was maybe a cut of this movie where they had more, or do you maybe think they had an intention and they forgot about it while filming? To, they to, might to do have, more especially, especially if they were running on that two-week time crunch. They might have been like, oh, this was going to be in the script, but because of time, they just cut those scenes. Yeah. Because um, I also kept thinking there was going to be maybe this hidden plot that they were actually together as well. And maybe that stemmed like with the homophobia against Byron. Self-internalized was, hate. Yeah. Yeah. When they were crying, when the dinosaur was dying and kind of hugging each other, you know, could just be like, you know, a fun little thing like, oh, like they're sensitive. But then I was thinking if the way that they acted against Byron, maybe that was like a subliminal thing too. That's a good call out. I do think it's most likely one of those things where early on in the production, the director was like, all right, no bad ideas. We're we're just going to keep everything. We're going to keep rolling. Uh, We'll cut stuff out later. Uh, And this was just something that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Officer Schuster, and I don't know if it's Norville or Neville, but one of them, he comes up and he introduces the audience to Billy with a perfect line that encapsulates everything we need to know about this character. Billy, you know the school's got a restraining order against you. Now you let go of that boy's gonads. 
<laughs> so we learn a few things. We learn that uh, the that Billy has been expelled from school, and not only that, but they have a restraining order against him. He can't even go back to school, yeah. and yet he's allowed to roam around this town freely and terrorize people. Literally terrorize a woman that he feels like he literally has ownership over, which is terrifying. Do you remember what Officer Schuster says right after that? Because it might be my favorite line in the movie. So that's the the, the gonads thing when they're like grabbing each other. Uh, yeah. It's later revealed that Paul Walker's wearing a cup. <laughs> the, the what was the line? You can you can say it. I know which one you're talking about. What we got here is one of them testicular yeah. standoffs. Yes. <laughs> That was great. That that had me crack up. I had to pause the film because I'm like, what is this? David, will you give will you give the audience your line reading of that? This right here is a testicular showdown. <laughs> God, it was so great. I think right after that scene, the movie just kind of like smash cuts right to I shouldn't have done that. The movie just kind of smash cuts <laughs> right to the the mad scientist, Bobby operating the robot, that whole scene where we were first introduced to the T-Rex. Something I appreciated about this movie is the actors eat a lot they are actually eating they're not doing that pretend actor thing they're not like taking a small bite like helga especially there's a scene where she's in a car and she's just like chomping potato chips and i love it there's a scene later where she goes to the she's shows up at the the funeral and she just randomly has strawberries that she's eating (laughs) and then of course uh, when I where I first started noticing it was the scene where Bobby and Carl order the pizza and they actually are eating like slices of pizza. I feel like maybe since this was a low, such a low budget movie, that might have been the director literally actually paying them <laughs> in food and they couldn't actually take a break. They had to. Yeah, know, they didn't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's dedication to their art. <laughs> One thing, though, that they kind of dropped the ball a little bit on as far as attention to detail. I wrote down that they ordered a double cheese pepperoni pizza. Oh, those are plain cheese. I took, yeah, I'm glad you noticed that too. I took a good look at my screen. Those were plain cheese. It might have been double cheese, but there was no pepperoni. I mean, either the director skimped out on that or the script just got it wrong. Yeah, maybe, you know what, maybe there's a a director's cut somewhere that they might have fixed that or they have that detail, right? But we may never see it. Okay, so, oh, another thing, just to add to the realism in this movie, um, and realism is a funny word to to describe Tammy and the T-Rex, but maybe authenticity is the word that I'm looking for. I kind of talked about this a little bit. I'm not rewarding the movie for its authentic homophobia, but it's authenticity in the actors actually eating. Another thing I wrote down, I noticed was Paul Walker's room. I I described this as it looks like a teenager's room. It doesn't look like the movie version of a teenager's room. It looks like an actual, like messy teenager's room. I don't know why that, yeah. Yeah, which I mean, I didn't get to look into complete production history, but given what we know about the time crunch and how it was made, it wouldn't surprise me if they maybe did find someone's actual room to film it. Maybe they did, because I think his room was only seen in one scene, right? Yeah. Maybe they were able to get someone in that town and be like, hey, can we record in your son's bedroom? And they were like, sure. And then they yeah. shot it there. And I wonder if they were like, uh, oh, should we clean it up? No, 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 leave it messy. We want it to yeah. look like a teenager's room. <laughs> because even, even like Tammy's house, I think, felt like an actual house. It didn't feel like a set. I think that yeah. was, the whole thing was actually shot in a house. So yeah, so I would believe that they might have done something like that. 
something like that, I, I feel like you can kind of sometimes notice by the tightness of the camera angles. You probably have some experience with this when you're, if you're filming on like in an actual room, you're restricted to only certain angles that you can possibly get. Whereas a set usually has, in film, do they call it a fourth wall or do they have a term for when? No, yeah, because the fourth wall is usually like when you're breaking, like to talk to the audience. I forget the word is, I mean, there's the fake walls essentially because you can fake remove wall. a Yeah, because I guess you can remove a wall so that you can, you know, get as far back as you want and get the perfect angle and shot, which is, I guess, a lot more in like multi-camera, like comedies and stuff. Like they can yeah. do that more with those kind of sets. Yeah, very, very few quote unquote sets in this movie felt like sets. They felt like real locations, which is yeah. probably due to the the speediness, the limitations of the budget yeah. and, and the nature of the movie. Yeah, they don't have um, to build anything and... They didn't have to spend money on making an authentic like teenage girls room. They were just probably able to get a house. That could and I and out. I appreciate I appreciate those details. I think it added a lot. Yeah. I think it made the movie kind of enjoyable just for the fun of like seeing this little time capsule of the mid nineties and like real life in the mid nineties. Yeah. And also again, like this movie, as far as I know, it was so realistic. It might have been a documentary for all I know. Like that T <laughs> Rex was very convincing. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you know it was very convincing? I want you to tell me. I want you to tell the audience, David, about the scene where Billy finally gets his revenge, that he feels he's justified against Michael. How how does he go about getting back at Michael? Well, it was like a wildlife animal park. I don't Which, know. Where did those cats the, come yeah. from? So so when, you know, he takes them in the car and they're driving through and then they see the sign. And I'm like, what is this? Is it like an open zoo? I'm like, where in America is there just this open free land? And you'll be able to find a lion. What was it? A panther? I think um, so. Or a leopard. Um, Jaguar, maybe. Yeah, just roaming around that anyone could just kind of go through. There was only a flimsy gate surrounding this whole safari-like park. And it was just like, they could just roll on in. And then, you know, he just dropped Michael off, letting Michael think that he's sparing him. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, like, Michael's like, okay, where am I? And then all of a sudden, you see the lion come, which I think was a real lion, right? Oh, there's no way it wasn't. That was definitely a real lion. Definitely Crazy. like a stunt person with some sort of protective gear on, like handling Yes, when it. he was mauling Michael, I'm like, okay, they shifted to somebody else. And that, like yeah. a stunt man. And that's a real lion. I'm like, how did they get a lion for this film? <laughs> I have no idea. And like, I, I couldn't figure out both in the production of it, how they got a lion there. And also why in the movie, why are there lions suddenly? What, what's going on? This town must, this town clearly knows that like lions are a thing because there's a game warden that, that shows up and almost rescues him. Or I would Poor say lion. it does rescue him, but then he meets a worse. Poor lion though. I'm like, is it really the lion's fault that someone stumbled in there? I was, <laughs> no. The warden comes and instead of just, he just pulls out the gun and just kills the lion. I think that I, the movie was filmed in California. One one interesting detail of it, did you notice that there was a lot of smoke in the background of a lot of scenes? Like this regular smoke or cigarette smoke? There were like uh, forest fires. Oh. So <laughs> as we're recording this, California is again uh, on fire and, and yeah. the sky is lit up orange everywhere mm -hmm. you look. And I read a little bit during the production of this movie, uh, a lot of the, there was a forest fire and a lot of the scenes you can see smoke billowing in the background or like an orange sky in the background. Definitely California. Are mm -hmm. there wild lions in California? I don't know enough about like, I know there's California wildlife. I know there's mountain lions in certain parts yeah. of California. But yeah, that's it was less mount, of, yeah, yeah, not actual lions. <laughs> 
I was less surprised by like whether it was like a jaguar or like maybe a big bobcat or something. But like yeah. when I saw the lion, I was like, I thought maybe I'm just ignorant, but I thought lions pretty much only live in like Africa and India. But that's why I'm like, what was this like some open zoo? Yeah, <laughs> I mean bizarre. that's that's where you escape the realism too. Where I'm like, this is this would not exist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, that pull, it pulled me out a little bit of the movie, but then it drew me right back in because then we go to this hospital scene, which is super fun when yeah. Doctor Wackenstein comes in to steal to steal Michael from the hospital. This scene opened up with something I love in movies. The 90s had a lot of these and you don't really see them anymore, which are gags, just straight up gags. Mm -hmm. So the scene opens with Dr. Maybe not opens with, but at one point, Dr. Walkenstein and Helga in her like fetish gear and mm-hmm. and scrubs come in they're they're at the receptionist desk and this guy like pops up like bleeding to death and he's like can i get some help and the receptionist is very callous he's like give me a minute <laughs> give me a minute please <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's just a gag it's just there just yeah. to be like ha pop up funny moment all right on with the rest of the movie even right before that i don't know if you picked up on it but there was like an exterior shot of the hospital and the way it kind of like panned and zoomed in it just felt like a comedy for a split second. And that adds to that scene because that was the next scene. And yeah. I was just like, this is such a crazy film. This movie made me feel tonally, reminded me a lot of Clue, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I wrote, oh, Crybaby. This, it's this movie from the 90s with Johnny Depp. Have you ever seen Crybaby? No, but I've heard of it. It's very similar in this sort of over-the-top, gag-filled, very self-aware kind of silly ridiculous movie that doesn't exist in the real world but Mm -hmm. everybody in the movie accepts like this is our reality nothing is pointed out to be like oh this is bizarre or like Mm -hmm. oh this wouldn't happen in real life this is their real life we as an audience are just watching this silly fun world and i and i feel like we're i don't know if it's audiences or filmmakers i don't know if it's that audiences want more realism or filmmakers feel the need to justify um more of their their gags and humor and, and realism in movies but I I personally feel like there's less of that in films now. There's less over-the-top gags and and disconcern with reality for the sake of a joke. There are less. Or I think of, like, when they try to make stuff like that, it fails sometimes. Like, I was thinking recently of the... Did you ever watch the show Scream Queens by Ryan Murphy? No, should I? It's who, uh, who's it by? Uh, Ryan Murphy. Oh, f- uh, he does American Horror Story. American Horror Story, as well as Glee, uh, Nip Tuck, and a couple other stuff. Okay. And Scream Queens is his love story to like those kind of campy horror slasher crazy film. It's two seasons. It got canceled, but the first season was set at like a college at a sorority house. Second season was set in a hospital, and. The character, every character is like a caricature. They're ridiculous. They're over the top, but they own it. Like the whole show kind of just goes with it. And I think at it, when it came out, Jamie Lee Curtis is actually in it. He got her to come in for both seasons. And awesome. she like, she like amped it up to next level. Cause you know, the for OG her, she's you know, clean. Yeah, she's the OG Scream Queen, but this is the parody of that. So watching this actually made me think a lot about that. Like you said, there's a lack of that now. I feel like you can either have drama comedy sometimes it's very hard to find like a fine line or like to kind of get a nice blend of both sometimes yeah it always i feel like leans one way more than the other there's a niche market for it 
there's a movie on Amazon Prime right now called Velocipaster. Are you aware of this movie? No. Is it about a velociraptor and a pastor? You nailed it. I don't know how you guessed that on the first try, but yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's very much low budget, clearly a guy in a T-Rex or I'm um, not T-Rex, clearly a guy in a Velociraptor costume fighting ninjas and other evil things. It very much leans into its budget and its silliness. Okay. At the same, I don't want to criticize it because I love that movie. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I would say in the context of what we're talking about, it's more deliberate than what this movie was. You know, this okay. movie was more like, hey, this is what we got available and we're just going to have fun. We're just going to roll with it, see what happens. And we see what happens. It was beautiful. <laughs> Velocipaster is more of a deliberate effort to make something that captures that feeling, you know? Okay. And I think we we see a lot of, we see, not a lot, but we see some movies like that nowadays, like Sharknado. And they always, it's always like the cult classic film. There's always the films that people like love to hate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, they have some sort of charm to them, even yeah. if they're not an art film. Film. They have charm. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I'm glad that those movies exist because I'm the audience for them. I I enjoy, you know, a, a thought-provoking drama now and then. But my, honestly, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with my audience, my preferred kind of movie is the kind of movie that we're talking about today. <laughs> Something that's nice. just fun. Yeah. So speaking of fun, uh, we move from the scene the scene in the hospital to the surgery scene and david i have a question what's the difference between this movie and robocop do they exist in the same universe is michael robocop i mean that's that's pretty much what happens to robocop too like when he <laughs> dies and he just becomes robocop i mean yeah i mean because he, he does start off and does his revenge first so yeah he's like a robo dinosaur yeah his body gets completely decimated pretty much only his brain and like i guess in robocop part of his face is transferred into a robot body which i wanted to comment on after michael gets mauled how come he looks completely normal in the hospital bed yo I was waiting for him to look disfigured, to not look like himself, so that the whole justification of him becoming the T-Rex made sense. But it's like, no, there was that hope that, no, he could have he could have survived this. He would have survived that lion attack had Dr. Walkenstein not come in. He would have been fine, apparently. Yep, and I think that's I think that's uh, the humor that they were going for, that oh, like, yeah. casual cruelty, that callousness of like this, yeah. this mad scientist. We'll, we'll get back to the surgery, but then there was a scene when they're taking him away from the hospital and like they're dragging him to the car and he wakes up. Was that a Wizard of Oz reference where he was like, oh, I had a dream I was in Kansas and you were there and you were there and you were there. And I was just like, this film is great. Yep. They didn't have to include a Wizard of Oz reference at all. But the fact that they did was just they it's, just want to write whatever they want to. And I like that. Yep. It's punching above its weight class and it doesn't care. And I love yeah. that. Yeah, I respect and that. Just, and then she just punches him to knock him out. Oh, that was great. This is a rare thing in a movie. They comment on how that might give him head trauma, mm. right? In movies, especially like if you've ever seen any spy movie, action movie where they have to sneak in somewhere, you, you know, oh, we can't kill these guards. The guards are just doing their job. Yeah, but it's fine for us to just give them all concussions, uh, to hit them <laughs> with the butts of our guns, to, you know, come up behind them and put them in a chokehold so they pass out. Protagonists in, in movies where that kind of stuff happens, which is a lot of genres, but mostly like spy action, they are, I mean, those people, they probably do end up killing a lot of those people. 
that they're yeah. just trying to uh, harmlessly incapacitate. And this movie actually does comment on that briefly, where uh, Helga repeatedly punches him in the jaw and Bobby starts complaining, like, you're going to damage the brain before we can <laughs> transfer it. So it's interesting to see something in 1994 acknowledging head trauma. <laughs> from, yeah, they were smart about that. Yeah, which like the NFL has taken this long to catch up <laughs> to that, right? <laughs> I kept noticing character actors in this movie. One of them that stood out to me was Weasel. At first, I wasn't sure if his name was Weasel. It's just that, what Denise Richards called him. Was that Billy's friend? Billy's friend. His like, okay. yeah, suck up, like lackey number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't know what his name was. Yeah, so it turns, I looked up at IMDb. His, his, it turns out his name is Weasel, which might've just been like when they were writing the credit they're like, do we have a name for this character? Oh, well, she calls him a weasel. So <laughs> that actor, did you recognize him from, from anything? No, he looks familiar, but I wouldn't say I know who he was. And that's that's how I felt watching a lot of this movie. Actually, Officer Schuster is another one where I'm like, ah, this guy looks familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know who either of these actors were or where I knew them from until I looked it up later. Sean Whalen, weasel is in Twister. If you've I've seen, not seen in a long time. <laughs> okay, if you've seen Twister, there's like this team of storm chasers and he's, I don't know his particular role, but he's one of like the technicians on that, the, the Twister chaser team. Officer okay. Schuster is the bum on the bench, sleeping on the bench under newspapers in Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. That's a little throwback. Yeah, so they got some really fun, like, character actors that, that this kind of movie always seems to contain and always seems to have. And I, I love these kinds of act. I love seeing them working. Uh, I don't know who this woman was, but I this woman deserves an Oscar for her two minutes of screen time. The old woman on the payphone when <laughs> yeah <laughs> Michael first breaks out of the facility. Did you, what, did you notice her, too? Yeah. That was great because even before she hangs up, she still has to remember to tell him. <laughs> yeah, she says, uh, don't forget $20 on number five and seven to win. <laughs> mm -hmm. So good. It's so good. Just the casual, the, the, way thing, the way things are treated as both serious and casual at the same time. Yeah. This movie is great. The blend of that. And actually that pops up in the next, not in the next scene, but in a scene right after that when Michael rampages through that party and then the cops come. And I wrote this down that Schuster is uh, poking very, very casual casually at this like the the gory remains of one of the crushed heads and someone says is that his head and he says it ain't no watermelon <laughs> oh gosh and then okay we got we get a lot of uh, casual homophobia we definitely get some casual sexism as well because then there's two minor characters at that party there's the, this bartender and a girl that's very heavily flirting with the bartender which at one point byron shows up and then the girl and byron are competing over the affections of the bartender yeah so when the cops come they're interrogating those two because they were survivors they were, they were hiding under the yeah bar and somebody says, uh, they're in shock, Sheriff. You're going to have to slap it out of them. And then later the officer, one of the officers is like, hey, do you still want me to slap that woman for you? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You know what? I, yeah. I'm, I'm just saddened by some of the, some of that content. I don't know if I want to spend much time on it. We yeah. don't need to unpack any of that stuff. Cause Cause like, it's pretty blatant in the film. Like you watch it. Like, yeah. it's weird because it's like the film didn't want to go there. Yeah. When, but they but then they still included that half mention. I don't know if it's supposed to be okay that they didn't fully say the word against Byron. Yep. But but the fact that they still included it, like they didn't have to. Like we already know how they felt about Byron. Exactly. And then touching on that, the fact that Byron was also the son of uh, the sheriff. 
whose last name was black and i was just like all right you guys couldn't think of any other name <laughs> right yeah like come on 90s come on and then harder. you know of course the sheriff is always in his police uniform but then byron they always have him in some kind of i want to say i don't know if i'm 100 accurate but like in some kind of african garb or something like unique or different and i was just like is this true for the character or is this just like their way of kind of just poking fun or kind of just being silly about it so yeah. they were very much going with those stereotypes yeah he was uh, unfortunately both the token black guy and the token gay in the in yeah. the movie so it's the they put a lot on his shoulders unfortunately <laughs> yeah he could have died early on because that is unfortunately the trope and the fact that he didn't the fact that he like lived on and was like her ally throughout the film Oh, yeah. Like, certainly exceeded what I thought was going to happen. I Me was too. like, oh, no, he's going to die at the party, too, somehow. But then Michael recognized him and saved him. And then he goes on to be one of the heroes of the film. He's really brave. Yeah. He does he does a lot to move the plot forward. I think Byron's awesome. How did... <laughs> when the T-Rex figures out who he is and then goes and finds Tammy at her house, and I guess I guess he picks her up, and like carries her to some some barn somewhere. And then they're having this conversation. David, how did she get to, how did she get from what he was doing with his hands <laughs> to, oh, Michael's brain? What was the path? Because I, I tried to track it. I watched the scene a couple times and I was like, I think I'm following this, but where did you get rain from? Yeah. Like, how would you explain that? Yeah, I think I would have, I, I mean, maybe because I'm the audience and I know but I thought I would have picked it up faster than she did. But pretty okay. much, because the first thing he does when she wakes up in the barn is he has a flower and he like bites it. But she doesn't kind of pick up on that like mm-hmm. immediately. She kind of just thinks like, oh, there's a dinosaur with a flower. And it isn't, and he starts like, he did the, he was pointing at the bracelet that he gave her and he was kind of pointing at that. And she was like, Michael, like that's Michael's. And she's like, do you know Michael? And he's like kind of nodding or kind of pointing at him. So she thinks he just knows Michael. Mm -hmm. And it's not until then, I guess she figures out he's doing charades because he was just like, oh, one word, was it one word? Or, oh, it sounds like he was pointing to his ear. He doesn't doesn't even have an ear because he's a dinosaur. But (laughs) he points at where his ear would be. So she picks up like, oh, so it sounds like. And I'm like, I don't even know how you picked that up, but you couldn't pick up the flower part. Yeah. So he picks up that sounds like. And so, yeah, how did he get to brain? Because then it's like he points at, I don't even know. Somehow she figures out that he says brain and then she picks up Michael's brain is inside of him. Because I thought he was pointing to be like brain, like pointing to brain. brain. That's what I thought Um, though too. But then she said, then I think he started doing this like motion with both of his hands, like this sort of like maybe raindrops falling motion as best as he could. But man, her interpretation of that, like as, oh, rain. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) How'd you get there? That's impressive. Yeah, that's where I lost it too. But I know if I'm ever in a in a heated charades competition ever in my life, I know exactly who I want as my partner, and it's Tammy and no one else. Yeah, um, world champion charades player, even with a T Rex. Do you remember the explanation for how Tammy's uh, room got smashed? The, the explanation that she offers to her dad. Yeah. That was golden because I was wondering how she was going to describe it. And she was like, oh, maybe it was a meteor or something. And I just went to the back to see if I could see what was going on. (laughs) I was like, it's daylight. 
not that meteors can't come into daylight, but still, like, then you definitely would have seen it more visibly. And how and, common are meteors, just like in general? Yeah, I mean, maybe in this California where there's lions that you could just kind of go across the gate to see. Yeah, meteors. <laughs> yeah, lions and tigers and meteors. Oh, my. Another <laughs> uh, Wizard of Oz reference. I think it was perfect though it was perfect because it was so unexpected it's the last thing that i would think of was like oh yeah well that's that's it was probably a meteor or something and she just casually pulls that out of her pocket but also obviously meteor is very on theme with a dinosaur movie so i thought it was actually Mm -hmm. like a pretty inspired piece i didn't even think about that that's clever yeah man this movie is working in many many layers it's like an (laughs) onion (laughs) okay david i want to ask you your thoughts on the dress that tammy wears to her boyfriend's funeral do you have any any thoughts on that the red dress (laughs) yeah the most Um, 90s red funeral dress i've ever seen yeah it was tammy's red dress that was i I noticed her dress i noticed uh, byron's ensemble as well as both being outfits that are not very funeral appropriate Mm-hmm. But then I also figured I'm like, well, you know, she knows that he's not quote unquote dead. I guess she feels like he can live somehow. And yeah. in a way, this is like her final ensemble in the film mm-hmm. until, you know, the very, very final one. So, you know, I guess they needed something that would pop throughout the rest of the film. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. That that actually probably ma- that makes the most sense. Because she did have, I think, a black coat over it at first. And a hat. She had some ca- she had, yeah, she had, she had a couple hats in the film. It was, yeah. they, they had very, her outfits reminded me of Clueless, which would come out like a year later, I think. Good pull, uh, so, yeah. So very in the fashion, I guess. But, yeah. you know, I guess she did have the coat on at first. And then once, you know, it was time to jump into the open plot hole, that's when, you know, just drop that, stay in your red dress. When you say open plot hole, are you talking about something physically in the movie or uh, something in the script? Uh, Physically, but I mean, there's plot holes here and there, like the lion. (laughs) She does wear a lot of hats. I know one thing that stood out to me in the when she shows up at the hospital to she needs to see Michael right away. Her outfit looks like she spent some time on it before she came to the hospital. Um, She is very properly done up. I don't know if she just came from somewhere, but... I got the impression that like she was home, she got this news and then she took the time to put on this whole coordinated outfit, find the right hat, get the right makeup and then went to the hospital. I don't think the movie would, I don't think anything in the movie would argue with my logic on that, but it is possible that she was already dressed. Best case scenario, she dropped everything and ran to the hospital, but I don't think that's actually true. And she dresses pretty fast. uh, If we recall the very final scene, um, when she like leaves Michael for a second and then comes back and like her striptease outfit that mm-hmm. happened in seconds, but she completely changed outfits. Yep. I mean, which Did we you... can take to be a film kind of cut, but sure. we can joke around and say also like, she just knows how to change outfits really fast. <laughs> She's like Superman going into the phone booth. And yeah, yeah, spins right around out. like Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> like Wonder Woman. I, the detail on her her funeral outfit that I noticed the most was the Celtic cross belt that she had, which was such a 90s thing. Are you a Buffy, the Vampire Slayer fan? Yes. I, I wrote down when she was at that funeral that like she's somewhere between like with the hat and the dress and the belt, somewhere between like her like Stevie Nicks and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> oh, I can see that, yeah. The other detail that I loved so much at that funeral was the uncle giving that eulogy. And the whole time we see this T-Rex very conspicuously hiding behind a bush. 
-hmm. And then he starts bawling. There's just tears streaming from his eyes at one point. David, how come nobody but Tammy and Byron could see the T-Rex at the funeral? In the broad daylight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How did he get there without anyone noticing? (laughs) I mean, he got to a lot of places without people noticing him. In the scenes at night when he first escaped, you can blame it on, like, it's dark. People can't see that. But every other time, I was just like, because he wasn't even trying to hide. He mm-hmm. was by maybe, like, one tree or a building on his, like, left. If anyone turned around, they could have seen him. Technically, yep. he was behind everyone. So unless they were looking behind them, they wouldn't notice a, a random a giant dinosaur there. In my mind, I'm trying to use the geography to justify it. So at first I was thinking, okay, maybe there's some forest that he walked through or something, but I didn't really notice a lot of of trees in general. This area of California seemed to be a lot of like hills and valleys. So I can maybe sleep at night by thinking that, you know, he was obscured from view if he was like in a deep valley or something. And and he knew some of the back ways to to go unnoticed, but it was a very stealthy robot dinosaur. Mm -hmm. On, On the other hand, in a town, where lions are a casual thing that you might have to watch out for at some point and there's a game warden just in case i guess and meteors and meteors meteors are just a common everyday occurrence you know got to watch out for those carry a a lead umbrella that (laughs) seeing a a t-rex just stomping around by itself you might be like yeah all right well as long as it doesn't get too close to me i mean you have to wonder what that old lady said to her husband when she got home like i mean she was clearly freaked out but i don't think she reported it to anybody because None of the police officers mentioned getting a call about a lady about a T-Rex ever. Yep. Do you think her husband played the numbers for her? Um, he, she... he better have. <laughs> she, she almost died risking herself like to say that. Yep. Okay. One of my past guests, uh, we unpacked Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Are you familiar with that film? I loved it um, a lot when it came out. I saw it three times in theaters. Same. That episode, if you haven't listened to it, listeners, please go back, listen to that's episode two. James Reese, voice actor, and I, we unpacked that movie. And one of the things we talk about, not to give away any spoilers or anything, but there is a auction scene mm-hmm. where they're auctioning dinosaurs. And James proposed that the maybe the only thing that could possibly improve that film would be if it was a crossover with the Fast and the Furious franchise. And if in that auction scene, we had seen Dom, Toretto, and his gang show up and heist some dinosaurs. So David- Oh, that would be great. Since Paul Walker is already in this movie, I have two mm-hmm. questions. One, is, it, is this movie in the Fast and the Furious canon? And if not, would you like to see a crossover between those two franchises, Tammy and the T-Rex and Fast and the Furious? I would argue it isn't unless when he ultimately did find a new host body- he lost all his memories Mm. and had to go live his life to eventually go on car races and so on, leaving Tammy behind to deal with her meteor-infested town. I would love to have that combination happen. I mean, there's rumors that the Fast and Furious 9 movie is going to space. Yes, please. Um, Michelle Rodriguez and Ludacris have both mentioned it, so I don't know if they're trying to play like the audiences and make us think that that's going to happen. But with the way the films have been going, I believe it. Dude, I'm so here for it. If, if they were to add dinosaurs and like the Jurassic World element to the mix, I mean, they're both under Universal. Mm-hmm. They're both yep. under the same like property. So, yeah, I mean, the scene where Michael was running from Billy and his and the car when he was running from the cars, which I was just like, why didn't you just get into your car and drive off? He, he ran past his car. I saw his car right there. I was thinking, okay. In a few years from now, you're going to be 
actual racing cars, not running from cars. That was just my first thought. I was just like, this scene is just preparing you for the future. <laughs> yep. One thing that I think supports the theory that this might be in the same universe is minor spoilers for Hobbs and Shaw, but in Hobbs mm-hmm. and Shaw, Idris Elba plays inarguably a cyborg. They okay. implant all of these this technology in him. They give him this like machinery that upgrades him in a lot of ways and makes him more fast, reflexive, uh, stronger, and more capable in general. And part of the plot of the movie is he thinks that this is, he wants this like to be the next evolution for all of, of human society. So Dr. Wackenstein in Tammy and the T-Rex is working on this brain transfer technology, this RoboCop te- technology. And yeah. by the time we get to, I guess we can't call it the ninth movie, but the 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 first Hobbs and Shaw spinoff of the Fast and the Furious franchise, by the time yeah. we get there, we've achieved this technology. We've, we've sort of, we've almost achieved Dr. Wackenstein's dream. <laughs> and I think I keep saying Wackenstein, but I, I think it's meant to be like Wackenstein, like he's a whack, like a quack doctor. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody's probably screaming at their speakers every time I say Wackenstein. So I'll just say Wackenstein. Gunter. Gunter. I like Gunter. So every time Dr. Gunter Wackenstein. Yeah, he. this is his dream. And I believe that fi- finally in Hobbs and Shaw, we see that dream pay off. And I am very curious to see where Fast and the Furious 9 takes us. And I hope it's space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually dinosaurs. Yep. And instead of they- riding cars, they could ride dinosaurs. Just like we see uh, Tammy. Tammy do. That was my favorite shot in the whole film. Tell me, tell me more about why that's your favorite shot. Because one of the things I like to ask my guests is, do you have a favorite moment in this movie? So please uh, tell the it audience was, about that. It was three specific shots. The first one was the over-the-top one where she's riding it. Like they're all watching her riding it across like, what was it, the water or something? Mm-hmm. And it's clearly like, I guess it was not cgi or whatever they kind of like superimposed probably matting yeah matting yeah the t-rex walking with her on it so that shot at first had me cracking up but the second the second the next two shots i actually really thought were done very well the first one was a low angle looking up a high angle sorry a high angle shot looking up at the t-rex and tammy on top of it and i thought that was a pretty good shot and the third shot after that was from behind them and you see Tammy look back as she's riding the T-Rex and the sky was just like red and like purple, which I thought was a nice like sunset shot. But now maybe it could have also been related to the fires. But I just thought that was actually a pretty nice shot. Like it was very stunning to look at with the colors and everything. And her just kind of it looked like she was walking off to the sunset, which they do, which they did mention in a line later in the film. Out of a film that had a lot of very like choppy edited shots, some of them weren't that great, like the exterior shot I mentioned where it was a bit silly. I thought that was a very well done shot. I like that moment. Awesome. Another question I like to ask is, we, you've given me some awesome trivia already, but is there like a thing, uh, maybe in your back pocket, a really, really cool pe- bit of trivia? Is there something you think I don't know about this movie? Or if not, some sort of personal connection that I wouldn't know about this movie, something that, that it means to you? I mean, I found it interesting. It was like Denise Richards' first film. That was one little bit of trivia that I noticed that it's her first starring film. How do you, I mean, not judging her choosing the role, but it's like interesting. Like this is the film that you decided your first feature film to be a part of. You're going to play this girlfriend of a guy that becomes a T-Rex. She does have little dramatic kind of moments, but very great comedic moments too. Like Mm-hmm. I love after the initial fight in the beginning when she like runs off screaming. It's so over the top. 
or when she faints in the hospital when they're like Michael's dead and she like just collapses onto the floor so I think she really owned it for like what I believe is her first film role and I was like kudos to you I thought the scene with Tammy and Byron where they were trying to find a new body in the morgue and they they kept showing them and like seeing what he thinks and they were arguing with each other. That was so funny. Yeah. How do you feel about her? She's like, I don't want a girl. She's like, I don't want a girl. And he's like, I don't want one either. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about her? So she's, she's by the end of this movie, very, very casual about grave robbing, about being around corpses in general. How do you feel about her like attitude at the end of this movie where she is just like, oh yeah, I heard about these two skiers that recently died and, and I'm, I'm going to try to snatch their bodies for you. Do you think Tammy goes on to be like a career corpse snatcher? I don't know. I don't know what the job would be called, but do you think like, um, do you think she needs, she'll need to refresh the body every once in a while or or is there hmm. some sort of science that's introduced in this movie that that proposes that when she transfers the body back into a human brain, it will stop decomposing? True. I guess it depends how badly the body was damaged. Why did it die? You know, if the person fortunately had maybe like a brain aneurysm versus having cancer or something like that. I think the idea of it being a skier is that the whole thing, maybe they're frozen in ice. I don't know. So the Mm -hmm. body is, so the body has a little (laughs) bit more preservation time uh, before it like decomposes or rots. Yeah. (laughs) David, I have two bonus questions, but before we go to those, do you have any last thoughts on on this film, on Tammy and the T-Rex? I love the timing of it, us getting to watch the film, because it was only last year, or early this year, actually, that they released this new cut. Because I guess for 25 years, a cut that audiences saw in theaters or that people maybe might have bootlegged was that original like family-friendly or like less gory film. So the fact that we were able to see this one 25 years later, get that gory raw cut film on Shutter and on Blu-ray and 4K, I noticed they they're releasing. Yeah, I, I was happy that we were able to see that cut. Why? Why do you think it happened? Why do you think it was suddenly important a few years ago for somebody to resurrect this movie? I don't know. I didn't get to look into that too much. I just. I saw the information that it was just being re-released. And I don't know, maybe it was the fact that it was a 25-year anniversary or maybe the studio pushed it, yeah. Do you do you listen to the podcast, How Did This Get Made? It's hosted by Paul Shear, June Diane Raphael, and Jason Manzukis. Uh, no, I've heard of it, I think. It's a great podcast. I, I, I have no problem admitting it's a huge inspiration for this podcast. They review a lot of low budget or often very high budget. They're actually big fans of the Fast and the Furious franchise. Movies that, in their opinion, are like fun, over the top, zany. And I don't know if they've reviewed this movie particularly. I don't think they have. But this is the they kind should. of movie that they that they review and their podcast i think has opened up a a lot of audiences eyes to some movies that they didn't even know about that are super fun that only existed for a moment like a flash in the pan but didn't do well financially and now uh, i think there's a big demand for missed cult classics to be resurrected so they could be available because especially now that we have the internet we have a lot more means of distribution it's easy to transfer things on digital format 
Yeah. And then distribute them that way. There, I could see why there's sort of a resurgence now with stuff like this. Yeah. Are you and familiar with the, the right home? Yeah. Are you, uh, Sh- and Shudder, I think, is the right home for a movie yeah. like this. Are you familiar with the movie My Science Project? Uh, it's another movie that was covered on uh, Robots vs. Dinosaurs. I'm not surprised that you haven't heard of it. It's a 1985 film. It was actually okay. very hard for me to find it when I wanted to watch it and review it because there really aren't digital copies of it. It's not streaming anywhere. I ended up watching it on YouTube. They, you could watch okay. it on YouTube, but DVDs of it go for sell for $115 and upwards. Wow. It's, it's nuts. And it's a movie, I think that there's not really a digital transfer of it. And it's kind of in danger of being lost to the sands of time, you know, if not for, yeah, if not for there being like a cult audience that really wants to preserve it. David, my two bonus questions. Number one, this is a section of the podcast that we call, what's your snack? David, what's your snack? When you go to the movies, back when we could go to the movies, and Mm -hmm. I believe that we will be able to very soon or in due time. I'm not in a rush for- I'm not in a rush either. Yeah, I'm eager to go back, but I am not in a rush for us to skip past the precautions we need to take before it's safe to do so. However, when you used to go to the movies a lot, do you have a favorite movie theater snack? And now that you're watching more movies at home, do you have that same snack or a home version of it? Or do you do anything different when you watch movies? So in theaters, definitely I always get an icy and popcorn. Which icy? Uh, I love the blue raspberry one the most. But sometimes I'll do a mix if I want. Sometimes I feel like I want some cherry. I never get the Coca-Cola one. I don't really drink Coca-Cola or soda that much. So I kind of <sighs> just forego that one. I like mixing the Coke one with the cherry one. Huh. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. You know, Coke cherry is supposed to be a big thing. Yeah. But I always get an icy and popcorn. And the popcorn, depending on who I go with, uh, my best friend, she doesn't like butter on her popcorn. So we never get the butter. But if I go by myself or with anyone else... I make sure to put butter. There's the trick where you got to put it in like three specific parts of the popcorn and make sure it goes all the way down as well. There is, there's a theater in New York City. It's a small indie theater. I think it's the Angelica where they're very famous for their popcorn, but they don't put butter on it. I might, yeah, I might cut that out because I don't think it's the Angelica. That might be inaccurate, but. (laughs) um, (laughs) Oh no, I have been to the Angelica Film Center one time. But I, I am a popcorn guy. I love butter on my popcorn. I love movie theater popcorn. When I'm watching movies at home nowadays, I don't actually own a microwave, so I can't pop popcorn and I'm not good at making it on the stove. (laughs) It's usually a... A, a bad experiment that makes my yeah. neighbors concerned when they smell something burning. So, <laughs> Rightfully um, so. so I tend to actually plan a lot of meals around when I'm like, I'm going to eat a meal Same. When I'm watching something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I ate right before watching this film. I had a sandwich. Yeah. Uh, just a simple sandwich. But I usually try to get, now that we're watching a lot more film and TV shows at home while theaters are closed, Sour Patch Kids. I love Sour Patch Kids. That's my other thing. I'm a candy fiend. And so I, the popcorn is a bit of a inconvenience for me to make on my own. But candy, I, I will always get candy. And my favorite is Australian licorice. So that's Australian licorice. Yeah, that's what, what I that? had while watching this. Uh, I, I love that you're asking me that. I bring this up a lot on this podcast, and I didn't I didn't realize that Australian licorice wasn't as common of a thing as I thought it was. So I oh. love being able to tell people about it. It's <laughs> it's licorice, but it's like it's the consistency of it that's different. It's it's not it doesn't necessarily taste any different than like our version of like we have Twizzlers, you know. That's like yeah. our best American licorice, but Aust- the Australians know how to do it. And it's the chewiness. It's the texture of it. 
It's really, really good. And there's this bodega in my neighborhood in Queens that sells either the strawberry Australian licorice or one that has like like uh, green apple and mango flavored ones. Ooh. So that's my favorite candy. Yeah. And that's what I eat during Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, okay. Nice. David, my final bonus question. I kind of hinted towards this earlier, but something I like to ask every one of my guests if we replaced any two actors in this movie, not necessarily the main two actors, literally any two actors with mm-hmm. Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, <laughs> who would you replace and how would you cast them? And would it improve the movie? Well, first first answer, yes, it would improve the movie having them in the film. I would keep the T-Rex as a T-Rex and I think I would keep Michael as Paul Walker. I think I would replace Denise Richards with Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. I think she could pull off that comedy, that kind of scene. And then I would replace Byron with Danny DeVito. Okay. Like you mentioned, the morgue scene, the two of them doing that would be golden. Or just like Danny DeVito reacting to seeing the T-Rex and the T-Rex like lifting him up and Danny DeVito having to like then tell his sheriff dad about everything. Like mm-hmm. I just picture Danny DeVito like recounting all this or the way he kind of gives a little like little quips. At, like if he played Byron, I think that would be hilarious. Those are great choices. I would have I would have Whoopi Goldberg either as Tammy or if we're going with a version of this movie where the T-Rex can talk with a human voice, I want that voice to be Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. And I have no doubt in my mind who I want Danny DeVito to play. And it's Billy. I think that would be oh, that would be hilarious. Wild seeing oh, seeing Danny DeVito. I you know I don't want to see him terrorizing Tammy. I, like that that seems very uncomfortable. But I do want to see everything the the ball grab, the testicular standoff yes. <laughs> between him and Paul Walker, stuffing him in the trunk. Just just the image of Danny DeVito ordering around his like lackeys, you know, and stuff like that, and just bullying them around would be so oh, yeah. fun. Or storming into Tammy's house, like yeah. ask her Tammy's dad. Oh, that would be Out great. Of my way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, David, thank you so much for coming on to Robots versus Dinosaurs today. Thank I am going to ask you one more one more time. Do you have any final thoughts on the film? And also, do you have anything that you want to plug or promote? I just graduated from Brooklyn College, and I just worked on my school's sixth season called unproductive the fifth season pilot is already up on youtube if you want to search it it's called unproductive season five all in favor and it's about a group of college students kind of dealing with cancel culture which is pretty prevalent now in the past two years or so and then season six will be coming soon whenever our schools can reopen so people can actually film what we wrote this past spring and final words on Tammy and the T-Rex. If you haven't watched it before listening to this, do watch it. It's a fun film. Watch it on Shudder, like I mentioned earlier. I just only now subscribe to Shudder. You get like a week free, but then you might want to stick around because there's a lot of great films, whether you like horror, where whether you like like slasher films or even like horror comedies like this. You'll find a gold mine. Yeah, if you have listened to this all the way through and you haven't seen Tammy and the T-Rex, I cannot urge you 
more. I cannot be more enthusiastic with my recommendation of this movie for you. Please watch it. You'll enjoy it. Watch it with friends. Maybe make a drinking game out of it. It's really, really fun. <laughs> so, David, thank you again for being on today. You were a wonderful guest. Um, thank you, Louis. You don't have to decide today, but I would love to have you back sometime. Do you have any any movies in mind that you might want to cover in the future with robots or dinosaurs? Not that I can think of, but I do want to find a robot film to delve into. Even though technically this was a robot film, so maybe I need to find a more authentic dinosaur film. Are you more of a robo fan or a dino fan? As a kid, I've always been a huge dinosaur fan. Whether it was Jurassic Park, Land Before Time, I had all these toy dinosaurs. So I think I lean more towards dinos. Awesome. All right, well, thank you for bringing in this great dino film. I loved watching it. I loved talking about it with you. And I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you about a robot film in the future. Thank you so much. What we got here is one of them testicular standoffs.